0: 7.02. You know what time it is. Time for Iron Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Ira's looking real good in his uh, 2017 Miami All-Star Game hat. We're going to talk a lot about the All-Star Game tonight. Ira, are you one of these people that gets excited? for the Beijing League Baseball All-Star Game.
1: I like it. I've always, it's, it's one of my, it used to be the go-to event <laughs> of the whole summer. Absolutely. And, uh, when the NBA playoffs were on tape delay, uh, there was no off-season NFL moves. Uh, no one knew who LeBron James was. Uh, so it was <laughs> definitely that the All-Star Game was something you just said, This is the ratings were through the roof. It was one of the most highest rated sporting events of the entire year.
0: You know, I've never attended one. I'm sure you have though, you know, like last year. It's got to be a lot of fun. I mean, it seems like I love seeing baseball players out of their element. And they're all kind of having fun. They're out, you know, they got their kids on the field for the Derby. It just seems like a, a great event in Miami. It's a great place to host it this year, obviously in Washington.
1: Yeah, I love going. I love been to three of them. I've enjoyed every one of them. The problem is, is that the pr- pricing of the tickets, it's become a very, yeah. it's more expensive to go to the All-Star game than the World Series. Because they That's people- ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, like That I wouldn't anticipate.
0: Weren't they having a lot of trouble selling seats in Miami, though, last year? Yeah,
1: well, Miami has trouble selling seats <laughs> to anything. So.
0: Uh, huge show on tap for you tonight, Ira on sports. Coming up in just a little bit, we've got Colgate men's and women's tennis coach Bobby Pennington stopping by to tell us all about what happened at Wimbledon. Ira, you've been glued to the TV uh, you know, for the past couple of days watching this, so we're going to get some great information from Bobby Pennington.
1: Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's one of the top college tennis coaches in America. Uh, he's very entertaining. And uh, the, anyone who watched Wimbledon like I did, and I think, uh, I mean, if you turned on ESPN, this week, you had tennis on the whole time because these yeah. matches went, they're supposed to be over at two o'clock or one o'clock. They lasted, of course, till eight, nine o'clock because they, they were so long. Were, the matches were so it long. Was part of that because the guy Isner, I mean,
0: it seems like every, you know, he, he's going the distance every second because nobody can return his serves. Nobody can return his serve and he has trouble breaking other people's serves. So that's <laughs> the problem. <laughs> it, it was an interesting weekend. Like I said, big show on tap for you tonight. Ira, we start every show off. Where have you been?
1: Well, I was in Los Angeles, from New York to Los Angeles, back to here, and I'll tell a quick story about sports, because everybody knows that I only wear uh, Pirates, Steelers, Penn State, Cavaliers, Heat, shirts, and (laughs) shorts, and that became a problem today, because when I checked, when I flew into LAX, my one bag, my suitcase was there, but I couldn't find my duffel bag, which is the University of Pennsylvania duffel bag, so I looked and looked, and I I went to the JetBlue representative, and I said, where's my bag? And they said, well, we'll check, and they ran the carousel a couple times times, it was all checked through, the tag said it was sent through, they couldn't find the bag. And I said, well, I, but you have to wait 24 hours in order to claim a lost bag. It's crazy. So I said, but there's cameras there, it's like a casino when you're in an airport. I said, why don't we just call the police? And they said, you have to call the police. So I called the police down, they came down with their Uzi machine guns, because the police at the airport are all <laughs> totally <laughs> checked out for terrorists, and they come down and they're, and they're asking me, okay, what kind of bag? I go University of Pennsylvania bag, and what's in there? And I go, well, I have have Pirates, Steelers, Penn State and the cops were going crazy. They're like, what about LA Kings? Do we, do we have uh, What about the Clippers? And what about Anaheim Angels? They were just, they were having a good time with that. And they worked, they actually looked at this, the, the screen for the pictures and lo and behold, they found my bag coming down the carousel, but then it's gone. That means someone stole the bag. So as they're look, waiting to see who stole the bag, they get a report from the, another terminal that there was a duffel bag that was dropped in the middle of the terminal and they think it's a bomb because yeah. it's sitting in the terminal mm-hmm. and the cops were saying, wait, that's the bag we're looking for. And they were joking about, but there's no clipper stuff there. It's only Penn State Steelers. I could hear the other <laughs> cop and they had a good joke about that. Of course, I didn't get my bag back for like three hours. They actually found the guy or they saw on a camera who stole my bag, but they didn't catch him. And only one little thing was missing. Uh,
0: I got to tell you, if you're going to steal a bag off a carousel, University of Penn is probably one of the better ones to steal. You know that this guy, I went to MTSU. Nobody, people don't even know what this
1: college is. Middle Tennessee State, nobody's stealing your bag. University of Penn, this guy's probably something important. Yeah, but he had been so disappointed when he opened the bag. I just saw <laughs> yeah. you know, 47 t shirts, and not just t shirts, my shorts. Everything I have is team oriented. I don't have anything playing. So he's like really disappointed. I, he's probably not a fan of the Steelers, Penn State, the Pirates.
0: He was looking people. for a Rolex or something like that, and all he got was Irish sports gear. This is Iron Sports, 706-95.9 True Oldies Channel. 720 will be joined by Colgate men's and women's tennis coach Bobby Pennington. Let's get into it, though, guys. The World Cup is in the books. It was another really, really good one. Congratulations to France. Congratulations to Sean. Because, uh, Sean, you did pick France to win this from, what, the uh, the beginning of the knockout stage? I took Croatia, so we got to battle in that. But congratulations to you. France has got to be the best team in Africa You know, <laughs> when it comes down to it. You look at their roster. Uh you know, you know how it goes. You, as long as you're a citizen of the country, you could play there. But ten of their players are really from African descent, and that's who you saw on 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 display: Cameroon, Angola, Togo, Mali, Cameroon again, um, Congo, and Guinea made up their starting lineup. There was not many, you know, Javier or you know Javier's <laughs> and and John Lucas um, making out that French side. But uh, Ira, you really got into this World Cup. And I got to say, that final game was better than the score, you know, showed. I I really enjoyed watching the Croatian side. The two goals in in the first half were... The penalty kick is a penalty kick. I hate seeing those. One's an own goal. Without those, it's a totally different game. Ira, how'd you enjoy the final?
1: Well, I, I enjoyed the whole tournament. I'm not a soccer fan. I don't sit and watch it, but I, I think you could, if, if, at the highest level, what they're playing, the pressure they're under. Um, I think it's interesting. I was reading about how soccer now has become more into set plays. They're really taking much more focus and becoming more like American football, actually, in terms of running their set plays. I was shocked that people would spend like five, 10 minutes. Uh, uh, they said five, to 10 minutes a week on set plays f- for these top soccer teams. And now, of course, they're spending hours and hours on it. Hours. And running. And that's where you can see these these goals are being scored certainly yeah. on the penalty kick and on the side out of side bounds those psychic
0: it's one of the things uh, you know and Sean you played soccer for a long time it, you're playing sometimes when you're in deep you're playing for corner kicks you're yeah. in a, you're in bad position Sean you're doing anything you can banging off a defender let's get our team all together and let's see what we can do on a set piece.
2: Yeah, and, and you and you you saw two goals where you know you had the own goals. Uh, one went off a Croatian uh, head. Uh, even Croatia's, I, I believe, their first goal uh, banged off a, a French uh, fr- a French player um, and went mm-hmm. in and, and kind of uh, uh, stood the goalie up. But yeah, where it comes to set pieces, and if you look at you know the best players in the world, you know how many Ronaldo goals have you saw from a set piece outside the box? Dozens Messi and dozens scoring. You know, so so we're seeing even some of the most exciting goals in this tournament came. From set pieces, um, so for it is such a huge part of the game, and and, and the way the game has evolved, where you, there used to be mismatches, maybe in athleticism, now where everybody and the sports nutrition is so great, and everybody's fast, you really have to get those set pieces down because you don't really see teams overpowering other teams anymore, even at the World Cup level, but even in you know La Liga or, or EPL or any of these leagues, you know the the competition is so high and the athletes are so great that it comes down now to set pieces
0: the best comparison i could give you sports wise is the way the nhl's evolved to where they're trying to get penalties that's how you win a game yeah keep the other team down a man and and it's kind of the same concept the the goal scored i don't remember the guy's name it wasn't Kane uh for england um to put them on a set piece that was one of the most brilliant strikes ever and who put set pieces on the map england david beckham you know just being able to 40 yards out David Beckham has, has a look at the net. You better get that wall jumping.
1: And using headers. It seemed like every goal was a yeah. header. That was what I was talking
0: If Playing them perfectly. Uh, let's go back, Ira, though. Um, let's talk about France and Belgium. Because this, you know, a lot of people consider this the final. Sean loved Belgium going in. France and Belgium, you saw this one. how go.
1: Um, I It was interesting. I mean, Belgium just didn't seem to be able to get... They, they had some opportunities, but not enough. And France certainly played defense. And was able to keep the pressure on them and and you know, just and held on for one nothing win. I think France won one nothing. How England thought was there when Fran, yes. England saw their match. I think England thought the same thing. We're gonna get take that one goal lead. We're gonna just coast and win it. And that and I think they got because they got complacent in mm-hmm. the English in the England game. England Croatia. They went up to one nothing lead. Kane had two good shots, but that could have been two nothing and three yeah. nothing. Instead, they're only one nothing. They go to halftime and you're seeing the fans and the players are all celebrating. It's like whoa, Croatia's come back three times in this tournament. It's not over. And then you say, what
0: happened. I love the phrase, it's coming home. You know, it's coming home, yeah. the England national team. <laughs> after getting, like you said, complacent. Croatia just... They made great adjustments in that game. They came out in the second half, and they knew what they wanted to do. Luka Modric, absolutely uh, ridiculous throughout the entire tournament, looked great in that second half. Sean, France and Belgium, they were the two teams you picked to win it all, and that was a heck of a game.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think the Red Devils, obviously, I thought, played more of the dominant first half. Eden Hazard was unbelievable. Um, France kind of scaped out, you know, uh, uh, tied zip-zip going into half. But this is what we saw from uh, the French team the entire time playing mistake free football, the entire tournament. That's what they did. You know, we can even go back to the, the final where with with Croatia. You know, Croatia was dominating that game in the first half, and and France just you France know had one shot exactly, and, scored two goals. and and but just just played mistake free football. Um, I thought when the second half came and France went up the big 3 with belgium all right so you had de bomb, hazard and Lukaku. i thought hazard continued playing amazing the, the entire game but de just didn't look like himself they had a few set pieces and i mean it was just it was awful there was the one where Lukaku, the you know he actually got scared he actually ducked his head i mean the ball came in I, hazard put it on his forehead and he actually like ducked away from it so they were they, they just looked tentative they looked like a young team that just wasn't ready to take that step um and and i thought that those three guys could push them past france I thought whoever won this two game, I mean, these two teams um, were my favorite going in, uh, and I did say even if we go back to last week. I said France has the better team. France should win. I just thought with those three guys, the way they had been attacking, but uh, De and, and Lukaku did not show up, uh, and that was the difference in my opinion.
0: They reminded me of a Netherlands team, which we saw in the last World Cup, where they, you know, you've got your Robin van Persie's, um, but they weren't the best team on the pitch no skill wise but they played their hearts out every night that's what we saw from Belgium and that's what we saw from Croatia by the way Sean I love when I can correct you Red Devils is Manchester United England's national team the three Lions um, I run no, sports- I'm
2: talking about Belgium Belgium's nickname is the Red Devils
0: Okay, I think you, you talking. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, no. I about the English side. On seven thirteen, Ira on sports 95.9 True Oldies channel. Seven minutes from now, Colgate men's and women's tennis coach Bobby Pennington joins us to talk everything Wimbledon. And Ira's really excited about this one. Um, but Ira, you were in, we you know we spoke briefly about Croatia versus England, but this was a great game and another semifinal match that to me played like a final.
1: And it was ex- and after Croatia tied at one one, everyone thought. Then went to extra time and then extra time again, and everyone just thought, "Oh, they're just playing for penalty kicks, penalty kicks." For England to give up that goal in the second extra awesome. time, I, I just they were so lackadaisical. They were just playing for that penalty. I, I mean, I think I was watching it, thinking it's going to be penalty kicks. Everyone's thinking it's penalty kicks, but you really got to talk about playing to the final buzzer, or whatever. They don't even have a buzzer; they have a referee <laughs> until they change that timing. I just think it's crazy. But um, that was uh, that was just shocking. It, it
0: was definitely one of the things that I don't enjoy about soccer at this level is because that sometimes they play for the PKs, yeah. and you'll see, especially an undermanned side. If a team's down a guy, a red guard, they're doing nothing. They're all they're doing is playing defense. We gotta get to PKs. I heard an interesting take on this: do the penalty kicks before the game. So the team, and it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but you do it before the game. That way, the team knows if we don't win in full time. We're going home. So, I mean, Ira, I've heard of crazier things before, but that's one of the strangest things I've ever heard. What would you take on that?
1: Uh, I think they should play it out. I mean, Stanley Cup, I mean, what's what, what's better than watching this? Stan- I think they should just keep playing until someone scores. I think the penalty kicks, I think in the regular season, what they do in, in hockey, which is having the shootouts, that makes sense. But we're going to have the same debate in Wimbledon. Should they play out the, the fifth set tiebreakers instead of having a tiebreaker and play the game win by two? I just think this is Wimbledon. This is just open. This is the highest level. Play it out till someone scores a goal.
0: One of the things about soccer and why they don't do that is you're only allowed three subs. And a lot of these players will come out and say, Alexei Lalas, you know, one of the greatest Americans, He's like, they, these guys will be dropping dead on the field if we play to 180 minutes. And that's part of the nuances of soccer, the running clock, the three subs. It's just, it's what it is. And it's one of the reasons, too, and I've been told by soccer players, towards the end of games, you see more, quote, injuries. Because their team's dying. They need that two minutes to catch their breath yeah. if they're going to have any shot. Sean, your takeaways from Croatia versus England.
2: Well, I mean, when England scores in the first six minutes, um, I, I didn't want to say I thought it was over, but but we talked about it last week too, where Croatia's the better team. Even at that point, probably top to bottom, probably the most talented team left out of all four, um, had the best player in Luka Modric. Um But England just had something special. They scored that early, and I was like, "Oh my God, here we go." Uh, Croatia, you know, didn't go. You know, I felt like Croatia just played down pretty much this whole tournament. Just found a way to win, and the goal by um, uh, what's his name, Ivan um, uh, Markusic. No, 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 it's uh, Perisic. Yeah, number four. In my opinion, Luka was the best player on Croatia, but this guy, uh, Perisic, was hands down instrumental to their success. He's played unbelievable, scored, uh, I believe, the game winner in that game against England, also scored to get him uh, in the World Cup final. Um, So he just kind of showed up and made plays, and when you watched him, he was kind of a guy that, Tough as nails, wanted it more than everybody else. Um, so, in, in my takeaway, he kind of really showed me, oh my God, um, you know, who's that guy? Where it was always been Modric, Modric, Modric. And then I started looking, who's this number four guy? And he was just absolutely unbelievable. So, um, another great game. Uh, it was sad to see England go, kind of rooting for them because they were the underdog. If anybody picked and said, hey, England's going to be in the final four or make it to a World Cup final, nobody said that. Now, you know, I, I, I think it was just a really good story. Kind of wanted to root for him. So, Sad to see him uh, to, to, to lose, but, you know. That's nice of you. I mean,
0: I always want England and France to lose everything. <laughs> it's really nice of you to have that compassion. Because, yeah, nobody picked England to no even one. make it, you know, through the first stage of knockouts. Maybe not even through the group stage. Ira, uh, we've got Bobby Pennington joining us in just a minute. France versus Croatia. The final was great. Any more takeaways? I mean, I loved seeing the hustle from Croatia down the stretch they, they they acted like they needed it they couldn't pull it out that that fourth goal was just a backbreaker you know, for for yeah. France, you know, against Croatia. But what about you? I watching the final uh, yesterday.
1: Um, I just thought Croatia once the once the game got uh, away from them. I would have loved to see a close game at the end, though. I yeah. think that would have been for considering how this tournament has gone to see a lead, exactly. a three goal lead at that point. I mean, the second goal was such a weak goal. You say France didn't make a mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah. The goalie just kicked it to the Croatian that was awesome. uh, player and just and ran it in. But that was probably their only mistake. France makes and when you make your only mistake at the end and you're up three goals, I guess that's when you should make it. Yeah. But uh, it was so funny. What are the commentators afterwards? who was a French supporter said we play terrible it was like complaining how poorly they played They're like you just won the World Cup you're not complaining how poorly you played
0: <laughs> classic uh, you know classic French Frenchman <laughs> kind of taking the back seat also there. I was amazed
1: at how three people actually ran on the field they heard so much if you yeah. watch it on TV there must have been a thousand people ringing the field with security Every and four somehow feet. in the middle of the field and they ran right in the middle of the field
0: it, it was uh, it was interesting to see that happen because yeah, you're watching it and I was watching it when people didn't maybe follow sports, you know, as much as we do. And they were like, what just happened? Why are there, you know, like, they didn't quite get it. And I was like, well, they're not going to show these people on the field. You don't talk about them. You don't show replays. This is just what happens. These guys are now going to jail in Russia. So have fun with that. 718, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Uh, Before we get to Bobby Pennington, let's talk about Team USA. To tell you the truth, them not being even in the tournament broke my heart. It was the last thing that I wanted because I love the World Cup. Um, Let's talk about what, Ira, do you think Team USA can do to not only get back in the tournament? We should be in the tournament. You're not supposed to lose to Costa Rica and Nicaragua in qualifiers. What can we do to get to this level? I think the, the farthest they've ever been is the round of 16. What could we do to even get to the final four? You think?
1: Well, I've heard so much discussion about this. I mean, one of the main points is that the good the good young players have got to uh, the the great young players ha- have got to go in America have got to go play in Europe. Uh, it's it's the one league that's better. Mm. I mean, you have all the great basketball players in Europe that want to come to America. It's the one league that we have to go. NHL the same situation is that the NHL players that and all the other leagues they come to America to play. Uh, I think the American players have to go, and it looks like what's happening. That's happening. Yeah. You have the Rudys, Salton, You have the retired, older, famous European players or you know international players coming to America to play yep. in the MOS, and that's going to fill the seats and those things, and have the young American players go over to Europe to play in those. Tours. You know, it isn't
0: a guy like you know, obviously not the same sport, but Luka Doncic is a great example. He's been playing pro since he's thirteen. Yeah. We don't do it like that here, Sean. What do you think? Team USA, can we get to this level?
2: Yeah. I mean, well, one, put it this way: the best athletes in our country don't play. Imagine Odell Beckham was. You know, playing. That's you, yeah. You know, playing striker for us, and LeBron James was our goalie. I mean, it would be unfair. So, so put that put it put that to be, to, to rest. But I will say this: where we fell into the trap was is we let our aging stars play too long. Uh, the Bradleys, um, the Dempsey's, I mean, Beasley's still playing. I mean, the guy's thirty seven years old. When we have guys like Tyler Adams, Christian Pul- Pulisic uh, is
0: Pulisic, yeah.
2: Pul- is is one of the best young players in the world playing for Dortmund. Um, so where Ryer brings up, we have to have our young players play. Overseas, what we do, uh, we have a guy playing at uh, Tottenham. Tottenham uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, um, he's actually on, on loan. He's playing for Sheffield. Uh, Manchester City has Eric Palmer Brown. He's pretty close to coming in. We got young guys like Christian uh, Rowland, Kellen Rowe, uh, a gentleman by the name of a young kid by the name of uh, Josh Sargent. Um, he was on our yeah, U17 team. Yeah, won the silver boot at the U20 tournament. Okay, so so the best player of the tournament, you know, playing in you know the Concafe area, is a 17-year-old kid from USA. So. We have this young pool. And, and what did we see? We saw Germany go out. We saw Spain go out early on in this tournament because they were playing and holding on to old stars. Who did we just see win? A very young, a very fast, and talented French team. Even Belgium. Look at how young Belgium is. So you you go out there and you put these young guys on the field, get them this type of level of ex- exposure where we're not doing that. We're holding on to Bradley where he was He was, he was washed up two he, World Cups. He was, that's what I mean. He was unfit last World Cup, and yet he's still playing, starting, You know, captaining our team. So um, I think... It's a change in the guard. Uh, it starts with Ernie Stewart, uh, the GM, recently uh, named GM. Uh, player over in Netherlands for you know twelve plus years. Um, him to come in, find the right coach. I think we have to go out. We have to find one of these international coaches, come over, change the way we play a little bit because we have a lot of young guys with speed, and we need to emphasize that. So. Do I think we can make it there? Yeah. Do I think we're going to be perennial World Cup contenders? No, because the best athletes in our country don't play this sport. But can we excel and make it to the knockout round every single World Cup? I think we can get there.
0: Yeah, no more Jurgen Klinsmann if we're going international signings. No, I think you you hit it on the head, though, Sean. If if Le'Veon Bell and Antonio (laughs) Brown had played soccer from the time they were three and could walk, we would be unbelievable. These guys are just athletes. You know, it doesn't – obviously – I take the LeBrons and Durants out of because they're six foot nine, six foot ten. Oh, put them in
2: goal, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Try to shoot upper nineties. <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy.
0: Seven twenty three. It's Ira on Sports ninety five nine True Oldies channel. Mike and Sean here as well, and we do have a very special guest on the line with us. It's the head coach of the men's and women's tennis program at Colgate, Bobby Pennington. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
0: First and foremost, I want Ira to tell you a little bit about his takeaways from Wimbledon because he's been watching this like a hawk for the past couple of days, haven't you, By Bobby,
1: Bobby, first of all, I mean, are you getting any work done? I mean, it must be difficult to actually be a coach and trying to watch six-hour matches that are in the middle of the day. I was in Los Angeles, and I got up at 4.30 in the morning for the Djokovic-Nodal match, and I'm watching that the whole time. And the Anderson one, I think, okay, well, by about two, one or two o'clock, I'll be done. And I'm, you know, eight o'clock at night, or, but I'm still watching the matches.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it was, a, it was an unbelievable tournament I think You know, I think the final Both finals, women and men's, were, were kind of a letdown compared to the rest of the tournament But I think up to that, there was just some Especially quarters and semis Just some incredible five-setters so, Bobby, really you're, great
1: you're a college coach, and you must it must have you must have looked you must have liked that Anderson and Isner semifinal because both of them were college stars. I mean, Isner at Georgia and Anderson at uh, Illinois, and considering one was thirty-one and thirty-two, thirty-two and thirty-three, uh, what does that say? How did that? How do you feel about college tennis being represented in the Wimbledon final like that semifinals?
3: Yeah, no, I think it was a huge endorsement for the sport because I think that's one of the biggest questions right now is whether or not you know if you're really that talented to turn pro or to go a few years in college and i think those guys played in the national championship back in the day um, when illinois played georgia so to have them in the semis of wimbledon i think great for the sport but great for i mean great for american tennis with isner as well and you know a good a good advertisement for the college game for sure
1: so um I guess the question that everybody's been talking about is fifth set uh, for people to know the other sets in the U.S. Open they play a tiebreaker, which is the best, first one to seven win by two in the fifth set. But uh, Wimbledon, Australian Open, and the French Open in the fifth set you have to win by two games. Usually it's over. Somewhat, but in a situation with like Isner and Anderson where they don't have a good return of serves with their excellent servers, it went on forever and the fifth set was twenty six twenty four. What's your <laughs> opinion of having a fifth set tiebreaker at Wimbledon and French Open and Australian Open?
3: See, I'm a hundred percent proponent of the tiebreaker. I know this is a big topic of conversation, uh, and you know a lot of people love playing it out. But my whole thing is, you knew whoever was going to win that was just going to have nothing left because they're such big guys they have nothing left in the tank for for Djokovic or Nadal, especially in their legs. And I think you know they probably played an extra few hours minimum where they you know where a tiebreaker. I think. It would give them a fighting chance in the final. I mean, I, I you, you could argue it's, it's more drama um, and it you know, pro, kind of prolongs it. It gives you more good tennis, but I'm 100% for the tiebreaker, Ira.
1: So right now we have Federer with uh, 20 major wins. We have Nadal with 17, and now Djokovic, who was who had at one point in 2016 had held four majors, but then disappeared off the face of the earth and, and got injured and was said, said was not motivated. He now comes back and wins his 13th title. I make this comparison: this is like if LeBron, Jordan, Bird, and Magic were all playing virtually in their primes. I mean, is this tremendous to watch these matches? The fact that Djokovic and Nadal have played 50 times and it's like 26-24 Djokovic uh, in terms of watching these three players. Uh, at the top the three best players of all time play at the exact same time
3: I think it's unheard of and I don't think I don't think I agree with you Ira I don't think you'll ever see it again in the history of this sport because I think when all said and done is I think they're going to be one two and three I mean Djokovic is going to pass Sampras here I think in the next year or two uh, I think Federer has definitely a few more years left in him Nadal I mean each of these guys uh, you know, has had injuries, but they just keep bouncing back. And, and I don't know what it really says about the rest of the men's game because it looks like Murray's about done and Warinka. So I don't know. You know, emerging star wise, they always mention some of the younger guys like Zverev, and no one's really stepped up in the in the bigger occasions. So I think you know, I think those three guys are the best three ever. So people don't
1: to. people don't realize that in the Djokovic Nadal match they started. At, I think it was like 5 or 6 o'clock uh, English time, or 7 o'clock English time, but there was a curfew at 11, I mean, 8 o'clock, they started at 8 o'clock and there was a t- curfew at 11 o'clock, a curfew so they actually only got 3 sets in that night, and then had to come back the next day um, I'm, you've dealt, I'm sure you deal with a lot with college tennis but would you think there was a better way to handle that, to, to, to actually play the whole match out, or start the next day, because uh, Djokovic was up 2 sets to 1 when they, when they broke, he ended up winning the match but I think it just broke the momentum of the entire higher match to have them stop when they have a roof, they have lights. It was eleven o'clock at night. You can see the U.S. Open; they play till two, three, four in the morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was a very weird situation with the curfew.
3: Yeah, I would have either. I mean, with how late that other that other semifinal got, to, I would have one hundred percent done it the next day, knowing that there was a curfew. Because I watched the third set; I thought the level of play was ridiculous, including that tiebreaker, and then for it just to end. I think the Nadal won the fourth. You know, fairly quickly the next day. So I, I think it was an amazing fifth set, but I would have started the next day. I, I, I think that was a bad judgment call there. Uh, I, I think it kind of took away from the match too.
1: And talk about the quality of play that fifth set between Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, I. One of my comparisons, again, is that it's it was a very, very exciting facet, uh, but you have exciting events in all other sports, but rarely do you have two athletes at their top peak playing at super level. It's it's Ollie Frazier. It's Hagler Hearns. It's it's maybe two sports teams that are, when they were talking about the game between Texas uh, and USC with Vince Young winning against the Matt, Leinor, Lein- yeah. Matt Leinard. It, it's like it, you had to appreciate just they, the, the play was at such a high level. One of them had to lose, but they were both playing so Oh, well
3: wow. yeah I think it had to be extra pain for, for Nadal because I think he would have matched up great with Anderson in the final I know he's trying to catch Federer but no I what I liked about it is you're getting unbelievable points and sometimes I think the stereotype is on grass that you know a lot of serve and volley and quicker points back in the day with like an even ease and those guys but like these rallies were just insane and they were just clubbing the ball and you know just great angles I love the drop shots that were thrown in. I thought that was really cool to wa- to watch on grass too. No, I thought it was just amazing tennis. Now that they, now that Djokovic is is back, I mean, you know, you have Federer winning the Australian, Nadal the French, and Djokovic, Wimbledon. I mean, the U.S. Open I think is going to be amazing this year, just, just, just because you're going to see one of those guys, I think, win their second. I don't think it's going to be anybody else. <laughs>
1: so, I guess the other question people ask is, now you have these star players, we're almost going to lose a generation of tennis players, because they probably don't have a chance to win any titles over the next couple years. Uh, and then you're looking then at the, the younger players, and there are some great young Americans. We had Francois Tifo, who's from this area, who's from D.C., but actually uh, trains in Boca a lot. Uh, tennis Sandgren, there are some great young Am- players. Do you see that finally we might have the next Connors, McEnroe, Sampras, Agassi. Is it? Is there a chance we could have this great American player soon?
3: Yeah, it's hard to say, especially at that level. I do really like TFO's game, and I think his story is amazing. Um, the other guy that I saw um, at Wimbledon I thought was pretty impressed with uh, was Taylor Fritz. That would be a name I would look at, too. I think he's only 20 years old, and he has a pretty – He's a pretty big game too, and I could see him doing something. But uh, it's, it, I don't know. I think it's just going to be tough for these guys to to break through some of the, some of the Europeans and especially some of the clay quarters, the South American guys. It's it's tough. I think it's a tough uh, it's a tough out to get to get to actually win a major. And uh, Isner, I think was I think he was he went the farthest in about ten years since Roddick in '09. Wow. I think.
1: So, uh, so you so also it's, coached it's a the. Long,
3: it's a long road.
1: You coached the women's team at Colgate, so you can talk a little bit about Serena. Uh, I was shocked at that mm-hmm. final. I followed her the whole tournament. I feel that I felt Kerber was tailor-made for uh, Serena to win that. Uh, she serves at like sixty-nine miles an hour, sixty-eight miles an hour. Uh, Serena was taking her return of serves uh, right behind the uh, the service line. <laughs> I just I felt. I mean, this match looked 6-0, 6-0 on it for Serena, and she just did not play well. I understand the injuries and the illnesses and, and the pregnancies and everything she's been through, but I really thought that Kerber was uh was really tailor-made for her to have an easy win
3: that made no sense to me I I I'm a huge Serena fan and I thought she had a uh, I think a great quarterfinal where she she won in three sets and then she kind of rolled in the semi and I just couldn't believe that I don't know matchup wise if the lefty kind of gave her trouble or she just had nothing left hmm. in the final or maybe she had been in that position she was you know, whether she took it for granted or she was a little nervous, but, no, that, that was a big surprise. I do think she'll continue to get better and better. I mean, she's literally nine months, you know, playing at a high level after giving birth. I mean, it's, it's still amazing, but... I was surprised at the result there
1: and then on the women's side also for American women's tennis it's it's we have between Keys and Sloan Stevens uh there are I think there was 18 women in the draw uh, 18 American women uh, there's got to be is there any players besides Keys and Stevens that you see there that might be the next Venus, next Serena coming up
3: those would be my top two um, for sure Stevens almost almost won two majors in the last year with you know, great match in the French final with Hal too. And Keys has, Keys has been there at the end. The other one that always seems to be, I thought she'd be making a deeper run in Wimbledon is Coco Vandeweghe. She's pretty athletic and she has a big serve and volley game. Um, I think she got to the semis in the US Open, so I like her a lot too. Um, but those those three, and, and then Venus and Serena still playing at a high level. So it's, that's a lot of you know, that. You could argue five Americans like in the top twenty.
1: So, well, thanks, Bobby, for coming on uh, the show, Iron Sports. But I guess and you want to talk a little about Colgate. You can give a little plug for uh, Colgate University here. I know you've been there for 13 years. You're one of the top coaches in the country, and I appreciate you coming in with your insight. But uh, tell us a little about your program there at Colgate.
3: No, thanks, Ira. No, I've been here 13 years. I coach the men and women. We're in the Patriot League, and Patriot League is a great conference with Army and Navy and Boston U and Lehigh and Lafayette Bucknell just really solid programs. Uh, great academic schools with Division One tennis, so uh, it's 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 a nice combination for sure and. Uh, it's been it's been a, definitely a good ride so far. It was our best men's year in about 20 years this year, so we look to keep that going.
0: Bobby, you're being a little bit modest. I mean, in your tenure, you've coached a player of the year, uh, two rookies of the year, and 30 All-Patriot League performers. Bobby Pennington, <laughs> head coach of both men's and women's tennis at Colgate. Thank you so much for joining us. You're always welcome here on Iron Sports. Thank
3: you, guys.
0: 734, Iron Sports, 95.9 True All These Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Oh, the Home Run derby's tonight. It's about uh, 25 minutes from now, and you may not know half the guys in it. We'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get to that, Ira, I've got a little story. I don't know, what was it, maybe 10 years ago. I, I, every year I do a, a little draft with my friends. We throw in 20 bucks, and we pick in order. You know, We draw to the hat to see who gets to pick first, and we each get a player. I was picking fourth or fifth, but I knew if I had the first pick, I was taking Josh Hamilton. I loved his swing in Yankee Stadium. I thought this was it. So we're watching it, and in the semifinals, Josh Hamilton does the most ridiculous spectacle of home run hitting I've ever seen in my Insane. life. Ever in my life. And all my friends are like, man, this 160 bucks is yours. And I said, there's no way he's going to come out in the finals now after hitting, what, 28 <laughs> home runs, he's going to be exhausted. And sure enough, I was right. Justin Morneau took down the victory, and Ira, you were there.
1: I was there, and it was – legendary because people forget it was like the last year of Yankee Stadium that's why they put the all-star game there so I believe it was, it 09 was this, or it and, and people were people were talking about about him and Hamilton is an interesting person himself in that he was one of the greatest high school greatest young baseball players like the Bryce Harper of his time and he had s- substance abuse problems other problems that disappeared from the game almost like the natural like Robert mm. Redford and just came back like a, a, a comet and was super for a couple years and then here he is and the greatest stage uh, Yankee stadium home run hitting contest and not that he just hit 28 home runs not that he hit 13 in, in a, a row, row but they were <laughs> bombs they were three of them were 500 <laughs> feet they were they were total bombs they were larger than anyone's ever seen when Reggie Jackson's looking at these home runs in shock everyone was there yeah Reggie Jackson was going and nuts it, yeah. and, and and that's what Marneau won the contest but no one will ever nah. remember that Justin Marneau won they just remember that Josh Hamilton had and I think that's the, the seminal home run hitting contest moment yeah. I, I will Remember that because I lost uh,
0: that hundred (laughs) sixty dollars from from my buddies, Um, guys. Like I said, I I really enjoy the Midsummer Classic. I like the All Star Game. I like the Home Run Derby. This may be the worst field I've ever seen, (laughs) and uh, you know it's no you know slight to Jesus Aguilar, Javier Baez, Max Muncie, who most people wouldn't know. uh, You know if they ran into him in the streets, Kyle Schwarber, kind of a bomber. Um, Reese Hoskins, you know this guy's having a great year. All these guys can hit home runs. But Ira, I think that America wants to see superstars playing in the Home Run Derby. You think this is the worst field you've ever seen?
1: I would say it's a worse field. It's it's totally changed because these are good young players, but most of them are about 25, 26 years old. A lot of them uh, were playing. Muncy was playing in the minors last year. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 Aguilar, who's supposedly the favorite, too. He's a, a minor uh, league hot miners, started as a platoon player this year. So yeah. they're actually all these players are having good years this year in terms of home run wise. But if you look at their past years, they haven't had, they haven't they don't really have the power numbers in terms of overall. I mean, I thought it was interesting is that in the minor leagues, Muncy had twenty two home runs. At twenty home runs and six hundred at bats, and in the major leagues, he says twenty-two home runs in five, two hundred and twenty-five at bats, and in half as many at bats, but in the major leagues. Um, I think when you watch, when you think about the past, I was reading about Babe Ruth and uh, Willie Mays and those guys, they, they would just, the whole summer, they'd be going and having contests against home run hitting contests. And there are these old films if you watch on classics and see those. Uh, the great players wanted to be in these contests. Today, you have no Mike Trout. You know, have Judge. You know, have Stanton. Trout's
0: never gone, I don't believe.
1: You don't wow. have any, He's you have, never done one. And yeah. I really think for a sport that is trying to amp up it, the NBA doesn't, I mean, we don't have LeBron James in the slam dunk contest. No, was, People yeah. complain about that the slam dunk contest is down but for a sport that really wants to say we got to push our stars we got to push our stars well this is a way to push your stars uh it's nice that harper's in this but it'd be nice to see the other stars in there i don't even think harper would go if it wasn't at nationals
2: park yeah he Uh, would not be in it if it it wasn't
0: sean what about you i mean a lot of people if you're not involved in fantasy baseball or really a big baseball fan you might not even know who alex bregman is yeah he could be the mvp if it wasn't for a guy named mike trout who happens to be uh, in the american league as well great player Not the guy I want to see in the Home Run Derby. Sean, worst field you've seen?
2: Yeah, from top to bottom and on a on a household name basis, one hundred percent. You know, I remember growing up and it was Cal Ripken and Ken Griffey Jr. with the hat backwards, and you know uh, the the, the Martinez, it, yeah. the, the Martino Martinez, Edgar Martinez. I mean, and it was just player after player that everybody knew that were on like playoff contender type teams. And it's gone to where I were you know brought up the point. It's like the dunk contest. I mean, the dunk contest doesn't have the key marquee stars anymore you know you get that one young guy you'll get him for one year like a Blake Griffin um, and then that's it they're done you know we've never seen lebron um, so so it's kind of are we are we going to this you brought up a good point too mike where if this wasn't in washington you know at, at the nationals park Bryce Harper's not doing this no. you know and the only and i can almost guarantee he said no i'm not going to do it and they're like you have to because you, yeah. look at where this is so and you're not going to be on this team next it, year so. it's <laughs> weird because cuz baseball's that one is that one sport that just carries on traditions, you know, and the tradition of having, we kind of saw it last year, Judge and Stanton, you know what I mean? Like those guys made it a point to go out and get after it against each other. So I'm really surprised that more players didn't want to do this, um, but it could just be a turning of going to that, you know, the big stars, hey, we don't want to do it. We're here on the all-star break. I just want to enjoy, have time with my family, stuff like that. I'll let the young kids get their shine, but that's not what the fans want to see. The fans want to see, you know, those big, Marquee names in this year in year out because it makes it more fun. Do You
1: know the ticket. It's interesting. The the ticket prices for the homer hitting contest is almost
2: equivalent to the All Star game, game itself. Out, of course, I so don't think it almost be more. People love yeah. it. I'd rather do I'd rather do that than the game.
0: What was it like in Miami? Because I I think they were saying like that was the toughest ticket to get if you were going to Miami because the. Outfield seats were selling out. Obviously, you want to see home runs. All star game, they couldn't fill it. Ira.
1: Well, yeah, I was. It was exciting, but I think they were about. It's about equivalent. But I was shocked. And even though that field was good, this field is weak. But still, again, people want to come Monday nights. They want to see the home run hitting contest, and they're not as excited as the All Star game.
0: One of the perks that you know you talked about the league or leagues wanting to get their um, superstars. Face First and on camera, they do that. You know, they'll have all the studs out with their kids and stuff. So they kind of get the best of both worlds. But for the fan who wants to see the competition, I want to see some better players. Let's start it off. I think you've got some stats on these guys. Jesus Aguilar. I don't think anybody knows who this guy is. He's gonna he's gonna be one of your contenders. How's he doing this year?
1: Um, I don't think he's he's doing well this year he had 16 home runs last year this year he has uh, 20 I think it's 24 home runs he's leading the the, the, the league but um, he doesn't hit the ball far uh, I, I, that's what I'm scared about a lot of these players that don't have a lot of home runs I mean this is the year they've hit some even Muncie I mean that's why I prefer more of a the Bryce Harper. I mean, Harper, in terms of he hits – he's really had a bad average this year, but he's hit a lot of home runs. The joke has been he's been preparing for the home run hitting contest yeah. the entire year. So we'll <laughs> <see>. <laughs> Sean, you giving any chance to Jesus Aguilar?
2: Well, it, you have to look at – because they do it by brackets now. So so in terms of he's the number one because he's coming in with the most home runs out of any of these guys at 24. He's going against – Hoskins. Re, he's he's going, going against Hoskins. So in terms of that, I do like Aguilar. Um, in, in terms of raw power – he has the most, I think, in this field. His swing isn't, you know, as as pretty as 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 Harper's, um, but but I, I would take the nod at least for him to get to the second round uh, because I think he can outpower Hoskins.
0: Javier Baez, fine player, love him. I don't like second baseman in the home run derby. <laughs> Ira, you got some stats on Baez.
1: Um, yeah, he has 19 homers this year. He had t- but he only had 23 last year and 14 the year before. I mean, he's a great young player. But again, this is a tough competition. That's why I like Harper because you're—it's not just normal just going to game. You're going to be hitting home runs, keep doing it. You have a time period to do. I like when they change it with the timing mm-hmm. and not yeah. letting them. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. I don't think I think you're going to see some guys have donuts like two, three, one home runs. I think it's yeah. going to be a lot of pressure because then the fans are going to be on you. You're, the, it, it's just difficult. Harper having Harper's the only one who's been in one of these contests before. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that I think gives him a huge advantage.
0: Uh, Sean, Javier Baez giving him a shot?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, um, yet again, we got to look at who he's going up against. He's going up against Muncie, even though Muncie has more home runs going into it. But I think Javier Baez, he plays in Chicago. He plays in front of, you know, a ruckus crowd. So I don't think the moment will be too big for him. He's one of the the best up-and-coming young talents that's in this league. He's, you know, putting up uh, MVP-type numbers this year. Um, So he definitely has a shot, and I like his matchup against Muncie.
0: Alex Bregman, like I said, Ira, this guy is probably the best player in the league that nobody knows who he is. Yeah. He's very, very good. You got some stats on Bregman?
1: Well, he has 20 home runs this year, but he only had 19 home runs last year. Uh, again, he he doesn't hit the ball far. That's the one thing they look yeah. at is they want to see people hit yeah. ball far because you're not going to – you're not really you're not getting actually the fast pitches, so you don't get that benefit. So that's a lot. You're going to see a lot of these outfield balls because they're not getting a hundred mile an hour balls that are connecting good to, point. So they have the, the batting practice pitchers throw it, so they're really going to have to jack it up, and you're going to see some short balls. So I mean, I, he's he's nice, but I, because he has the longest home run all year is 420 feet, whereas Harper does that all the time. Yeah. I think that he's hurt with that. What about you, Sean? Shansom Bregman?
2: Uh, I like him, great young player. I don't like the matchup because Ira brings up a good point. He's going against uh, Schwarber. Who that guy just hits bombs? You know, so when you're not getting the pitches coming in that fast, you know, you got to have that real raw power. And I don't know if Bregman has it to consistently do it throughout the uh, the, the bracket.
0: He's like, my, I'm a short guy. I'm five five. He's awesome. He might be my height. He's not a big dude. Plays third base. He's got a cannon. Cannon. But I just, yeah, it's that longevity thing. Can he do this twenty times? Yeah. That I'm not so sure about. Now we get into the meat of it. Freddie Freeman, first baseman from the uh, Atlanta Braves. Guy's a player another super underrated guy, Ira, and I give Freeman a big chance in this one.
1: Well, they're putting him up. They, the yeah. way they see it is ridiculous. <laughs> they put Freeman and Harper in the first round, so yeah, one yeah. of them is going to be eliminated, and Freeman's, these are the two most known players in this, and they're going to be in the first round, so one of them's going to get knocked out. Sort of like last year, the uh, the Marlin player who got not boor, uh, B- uh, Justin Boer. Boston Justin Boer, Boer got knocked out when he almost, he almost knocked Stanton out. Yeah, I, he was my pick out. to win. Yeah, He almost knocked out Judge, I think. It was judge Yes, Stanton. it was Judge, I believe. Right, and he had a close to whatever, so I think this is, I mean, the Free even Harper one is going to be a great, that's going to be a good conversation. Sean, Freddie Freeman, this guy's
2: got to be in contention. Yeah, I, I, it, just, it just stinks that he's going against Harper. I think whoever comes out of that first round against each other, I think they're going to be the ones that go on to win the whole thing.
0: Interesting. Well, speaking about Harper, he's going to be your, your boy here. Ira, he's not having that great of a season, especially for what's supposed to be the future of baseball.
1: Yeah, I thought – and also Harper, I looked at his stats. I was surprised. In six years, he's only had one year of over thirty. Two 2015, he was amazing. And yeah. – but he's not – and then you would talk about Machado and Trout. He's always in that category of Trout, Machado, Harper. He's really not he's in that not, category. He's really
0: not. He, he's much more a name, and that's why I think, you know, he's going to be the first $400 million player here in just yeah. a minute. It, it's not worth it. I'd rather have Machado. Plays infield and the better player. Um Sean, what about you? Harper? I mean, this guy can take it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I definitely think he's so. he's gonna put, I mean, try to put on a show. When yeah, of course, and especially he's gonna play to his home crowd. Um, I think it's like all indications that you know they're they're trying to set him up to win this. So the one thing about Bryce Harper is is when he's in the batter's box, in terms of like batting practice, he's the guy that hits bombs like Stanton and Judge, and you see that, and, and that's where he wows a lot of people with that swing. It's very uh, compact. It's it's you know it's it's the same motion over and over again. Um, you know, no one's really talking about Harper's bat uh, when they talk about the type of player that he is. It's more, you know, the upstairs, uh, you know, in his because head. Because
1: he's chasing bad pitches and those things. So he's certainly not getting bad pitches at the home. It, that, <laughs> that, that,
2: that's what I mean. So it's more upstairs for him. So when it comes to this, I mean, uh, I, I definitely think that he's – By far, in terms of the swing, can he go the distance, does he have the raw power? He has everything that you need to win this, and I think he will take it down, especially that he's doing in front of his his, his home ballpark.
0: You guys are crazy if you think Harper's taking this down. I I can't see it happening. I don't give my pick in a minute um, Max Muncy Ira this guy is an anomaly 27 years old just cracking the major leagues and
1: now he's in the home run derby but he's having a great first half he's the reason why the Dodgers are still in the mix yeah, if, if they right. don't have Munson, with all the injuries they've had he came out of nowhere and he's had it between him and Kemp they have, they have Kemp, Kemp was, has played unbelievable uh, Kemp, I mean we, I have stats on Kemp but if we don't get into it this week we'll talk about it next week I think Kemp is the most Kemp signed one of the largest contracts in the history of baseball totally underperformed for seven years and then suddenly. <laughs> (laughs) After the seven years is up, he's back playing (laughs) being
2: an L star. Contract year. (laughs) Sean, giving Max Muncie a shot. Uh, no not at all I I, I, I don't think so um, I think he's more of an anomaly it's kind of like where, where he talked about you know Ira brought up his stats not you know never a guy that hit home runs in the minors we saw that I don't know what it is with Dodgers play but even Bellinger last year I mean not yeah, known thing. for a home run guy ever and all of a sudden and, you know I think he hit you know 30 plus uh, 30 to 40 home runs last the year the Dodgers
0: so. are great at having guys come out of nowhere yeah. and have one great season season yeah Juck Peterson is in the minors again yeah and That guy was bombing balls. Yasiel Puig, we thought, was going to be the MVP nine years in a row, and you haven't heard his name since. Next up is a guy who I think has a total shot in this. And, Sean, you mentioned it, Kyle Schwarber. He hits bombs. Bombs. And his issue in the major leagues is he swings at everything. (laughs) Fortunately, you're allowed to swing it, or you can swing at everything, with less repercussions in the derby I uh, get some stats on Schwarber here because he does hit the ball far. I
1: He's right. had only 18 home runs this year, but he had 30 last year. He's the highest exit velocity of anybody in the 117 yeah. miles an hour. So that's what you need. We've been talking about this. You really need to get that ball off your bat. You got to hit it far. So when you when you have uh, when you don't hit it flush, you're going to get those cheap home runs, and that's how you're going to win this competition.
0: And, and you know, you brought up a great point too. With, you know, the the Bregmans of the world, they're hitting 102 mile an hour balls out. Yeah. It's a little different when it's a seventy mile an hour. You know, just just feed me ball, Sean Schwarber. What do you think?
2: No, yeah, I definitely, I definitely like him in this. Um, he's the guy that he can just rake. I mean, he could straight rake, and he has the raw power that it's going to take to you know. And that's the difference. I mean, th- this is a, a tournament type of event that it's the extra five to ten feet on those swings that are going to make the difference you know how many times do we see balls that just make it over when they're tired and they're going from you know their eighth home run and now they're on nine or 10 11 i mean it takes a lot out of these guys i mean the lights are on them the the, the electricity in the, the the stadium is you know through the roof they know everybody's watching so um, i can only emo- imagine you know the the emotions that are running through these guys on top of it's not easy to take batting practice for you know the 20 minutes you know uh, and and be trying to hit a home run on every single ball so um, uh, a lot of energy goes into it, but he's the kind of guy that has that raw power that I definitely think could take it.
1: So you make a great point, is that I was reading about Mike Trout. Mike Trout doesn't take batting practice anymore, because really? he says he needs Extr- more time to get ready, and he doesn't want to sit in the cage more than, you know, you get seven or eight balls and you have that's to go it. out, yeah. and he said he likes to sit under the uh, in the cages underneath the stadium, so he can get a 30-minute workout in, yeah. because you, could you imagine, like, LeBron doesn't go out there and shoot seven <laughs> shots and then just wait for everybody else to shoot, yeah. so that's why these guys aren't used to actually, actually taking no. batting practice for five minutes or four Minutes? How long? No, is. and no. even
2: when they get in the cage, they're, they're practicing on something that they're missing. It's like, hey, I want to go oppo today, and that's and that's Absolutely. what they're doing. They're not. It's not. I'm in batting practice, and I want to hit a ball over every single you know play. When when they do that, and Judge goes out and stand, does he does it for the fans? But that's not what they're working on every single every single at bat while they're in the cage.
0: Um, let's get to our final competitor and my dark horse pick to win it all. Uh, I'm going on the record with Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins could be at um, the Wellington Mall right now. You'd walk past him, and if no idea who he is, a rookie um, from the Phillies. I've been watching this guy in the minors for a while, and this guy hits the ball. I mean, he's got power. Only 25 years old. Uh, Ira, you want to tell us a little bit about Reese Hoskins?
1: Well, last year he was high. He had 18 home runs and like 50 at-bats. and this He came up in September. Yeah, so he's 14 home runs this, this this year. He's 25. It's amazing how all these players are mostly 25 years old. Yeah. This is like the age that everybody has to be in. But, yeah, he's. A, I think people were expecting a little bit more this year after what happened last year. But he's certainly the future of the Phillies, and they're yeah. banking a lot on him. So, Sean Bryce Harper.
2: I mean uh, Sean Reese Hoskins. I mean, I thought he was a medical condition when you put him on. That. I didn't know Reese Hoskins. I was I was confused on who that was. But no, I great young player. Um, it does sound it, it sounded like a medical condition, but uh, but no, great young player. Great for the Phillies. Um, I think him going up against uh, uh, Aguilar in the first round, just with his raw power, I don't I don't see him winning that one.
0: Ira, you want to hear something funny, and this is, I tell people about this all the time. So you talk about Reese Hoskins, 25 years old, just got into the league, basically played, you know, a month last year. You know how old Bryce Harper is? Twenty-five. That's amazing. He's been that's, in the league since he was 19. Yes. That's the difference between him and all the rest of these guys. We'll see if he has what it takes tonight. So, and a lot more he's gonna have make a lot more money. Oh well that, sure. that that that's true as well. Um let's go on the record, guys. I'm taking Reese Hoskins Ira, who you got to win it.
1: Uh Harper. Uh, I think Harper wins, and I think it'll be against will be one four four I don't know how they do that. Uh I
2: don't know how they seed it.
1: They see I know how they seed it, but I, but I I just anyway, Harper's gonna win.
2: Shawnee? I'm gonna go because I want to take Harper, but I'll have to take somebody else. And I'm going to say Freddie Freeman, my first baseman, on the BBB Beavers fantasy team is going to be uh, is going to be the winner. He's going to take out Harper in the first round.
0: I, I I like Freeman and I like Hoskins to go all the way, but I'm, I'm sticking with Hoskins. All right, guys, there's a, a weird thing in baseball. And a lot of guys, I, I think, the, you know, mo- not most recently, but Bobby Abreu came out and said after he won his that. home run derby, this messed my swing up. I shouldn't have been here. Aaron Judge, what was the stats on him, Ira? He's, oh. He dropped 100 points in batting yeah. average. 329 like. before,
1: 229 after. 100 points in batting average, Ira. Do you think the home run derby actually affects these guys' swings, or is it superstition? There's been a statistical analysis that said it doesn't, but I think yeah. it does. When you look at these players, and that's why I think the Yankees there was no encouragement at all to have <laughs> Judge or Stanton. Oh, there's no, no way they, they should have
2: like, put Didi in. That's what I said. I said, why not Didi? Why couldn't you put? Didi they could have put in
1: the Yankees could put
0: anybody. That's, well, of it. course. I'm just saying,
2: but they could have <laughs> put Didi in, and I thought Sanchez that probably would have been, been in if or even wasn't Torres.
0: Glaber Torres would have been fantastic. I think it's all BS, a- and you know. If you've ever attended a game that Ichiro's in, Ichiro will go out for the fans and knock a home run on every pitch in batting practice. And then what does he do? Goes back to being the best hitter ever when the actual (laughs) game is on. Granted, he's the best hitter ever. But I just really think if you're a professional, you need to be able to adjust what you do in that scenario, just mashing balls to going back to facing 102 mile an hour rolled as Chapman fastballs in the ninth inning. I think it's BS, but, you know, with a guy like Judge, you're right. There is no way they were letting Aaron Judge participate in that this year. Um, let's talk about, you know, just for a minute, the All-Star game, which is going to happen tomorrow. Ira, for a few years there, Bud Selig had the All-Star game determine – home field advantage in the World Series um, that's been
1: repealed. Rob Manfred,
0: eh, we don't really need this.
1: Do you think the all Game should count for something? I do. I, I like that. I thought it was good because the because of the fact that the, it's hard to tell the teams in terms of the when they're playing. They, there's, they're not, there's not a balanced schedule. So it's not like you can say who has the top seed. But I did like when the All-Star Game counted. They'll never go back to it. There's no. so much uh, criticism of it. But I, I like that it counted. I think the players are playing hard. I think you're seeing it in all the sports. The NFL this year, they played harder. The NBA played a little harder. So I think the players are getting a sense that they should play harder. But that's what we're getting back to. Why are they not in the home run hitting contest? Baseball needs their stars. To, people need to – Rob Manfred said the problem with baseball is that they're not on social media enough. That was his saying, <laughs> We need to be on social media. I just heard him today on a quote. And I'm like, well, if you want your players with social media, then they should be tweeting while they're in the home run hitting contest and put yeah. your stars out there. If you could put all the top eight hitters in baseball, all the big names in the home run hitting contest, I think that's really what it would help baseball. I, Sean, what about you? Do you, you, you think it should mean something?
2: I think it should. I think. I think the money aspect now has change it. I mean, we're not going to ever go back to Pete Rose running over the catcher, you know, to, to win an All Star game. Um, you know, and and the fact of the matter is, if it was. The reason why I didn't like that it meant something is because if if it was to mean something, Chris Sale would be pitching six seven innings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know I mean? that, that's the thing. I mean, you would you would have the best players out there. The and Boston's AL, got a the, chance. The AL would be consisted of nothing but Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros players. You know, and this oh well, we need one representative from every team. I, I think the owners kind of came in and said, "Hey, listen, you're not you're not." You know, throwing Sale out there for six innings, but but if it was to, that's what it would need to go to. It would have to be an actual baseball game where the best players played the entire game. Subs only came in, and you know was a pinch runner, pinch hitter, whatever it is. And you're you're running Chris Sale out there and bringing Severino in to finish the last three innings. You know, like, and, and that's what it would have to go back to. So I wish it counted for something, but unfortunately, we will never see it because of the ownership, the GMs, the coaches saying no, where you know you can't trot Sale out there for six
0: innings. You You know, that's my thing, too. If I'm a National League contender, I don't want JT Real Muto as much as I like him as a player. Yeah,
3: exactly.
0: You know, a guy on the Marlins reflecting my team in the bottom of the ninth when we need to win, and that's going to cost me potentially home field in in the World Series. I want it to mean something. And I just don't know how you do that without affecting what's really the prize here is the World Series. 756, Ira on Sports, 95.9, true oldie channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Um, just a couple more topics to touch on. Of course, we're going to go over. It's Ira on Sports. We always do. Um, Ira, Mike Matheny out as the Cardinals coach. They're not – they're right around 500. That's not really a Cardinals thing. They want to be better than that. But this is a franchise that doesn't – fire people, especially in the middle of a season. I can't remember the last baseball manager to get fired during the season. You think it's a good call?
1: Well... I supposedly he was. We're getting the same thing with all the managers. He wasn't listening to the front office. I've been telling everyone. It seems like from Aaron Boone, all the but the Yankees with Cashman, the the general managers want to run these teams. It's not the man, there's no Earl Weavers. There's no managers that's going to make decisions. They the general managers and the front offices have a process, have a system, and they are going to give you the stats. And they want just just they want their coach, they want their manager to be friendly with their players, keep the locker room upbeat. But we're going to make all all the calls on who plays, we're going to tell them when they play, and I think Matheny was pushing back on that. And he didn't seem to have a good rapport with some of his players. And then when that caused it, then they just got rid of him. Now the last Cardinal manager got fired midseason was Joe Torrey. so he ended up having a nice career afterwards. <laughs> so bit. that would that would let Matheny, uh, um, yeah. you know, come hope have some hope. And he and he did win one hundred games to take the team to the World Series in two thousand fifteen, and he has I mean, his record is five ninety one or four seventy four. Great, great, great career, great yeah. record. But they hadn't been in the playoffs the last two years. There's seven games out now. And I think that is, again, that the general managers of these teams are like, we are calling the shots, not the manager.
0: NL Central is a tough division. And, you know, I don't expect any of those teams to can, you know, with the exception of the Reds, who are actually playing amazing. Yeah. There's really no, the Pirates have just won five in a row. There's no slouch in the NL Central, especially when you're playing each other. I think someone's going to jump on Matheny very soon, you're going to see another manager get fired to get Mike Matheny. But and I love right the here. manager
1: they're talking about. Is that Mark McGuire? That's one of this one of the potential uh, candidates would be to bring that. Him, would be after the so All Star break, is he still is he still hitting coach? Or is he's not he hitting coach, but okay. uh, but he's not the hitting coach for the Cardinals. But he was, but he's, but he, but they would bring him from uh, I think is he's, it L A or uh, yeah, LA. yeah,
0: I think it's L A. uh
2: what about you? Matheny fired. Good call. I don't think it's a good call. I think maybe they look at it's Just it's played its course. Um, You know, especially when the Cubs brought in a guy like Madden and and the energy that he brings and everything. Um, Matheny seems more of the laid-back type. So not saying that you compare those two – Guys and their style of, uh, um, you know, managing. But I just think it was, you know, this St. Louis team has underperformed. I know it's a tough division, uh, but I think a change had to be made. Starts with the manager. You can't really fire the players. Um, so, so to bring in somebody like that, Mar- a Mark McGuire would one get the fans reenergized, get that clubhouse reenergized, having a you know having Big Mac come back. Um, so. Not maybe something I would have done and something that was very surprised that the Cardinals did. They just don't run their organization like that. So very, very surprised that that happened. But only time will tell uh, to see if that was the right move or not.
0: Let's uh, switch sports but stick with another organization that's well run and might be having some internal issues. And they're kind of near and dear to Iris' heart. I love David Johnson. He's not the best running back in football. He might put up the best numbers. Sean's a a Cowboys fan. He loves Ezekiel Elliott. He's not the best running back in football. The best running back in football is Le'Veon Bell. And, uh, you know, I would take him over anybody else. Doesn't matter. But, Ira, they're having some real hang-ups getting this contract done.
1: Well, it didn't get done today, so they they can't until the season's over now. And they had franchise, And the NFL has a way uh, to, quote, franchise a player, which is by paying him a certain level uh, on the spot so that you don't, even they're up for free agency. They don't have this in any other sport. Average of the top five up, uh, of their position. Uh, really. Top five yeah. of the position, but then it goes up because he was, so Bell was franchised last year after his contract expired. He got 11 million. This year he's getting 14 million, 14 and a half by franchising, but the goal had been to work out a long-term deal with him right now. So he's not a free agent. So next year, if the Steelers franchise him, it goes up again, it's like 21 million. The problem yeah. with the Bell contract is that Lavian Bell wants like 14 to 15 million dollars a year. The Steelers are willing to pay him 13 and a half. It's not that much. You got it. It's just amazing this deal did not get done. The problem is the Steelers are saying, "Well, the highest paid running back is like 8 billion dollars a year. Yeah. So we're paying you 5 million above what a, a huge a percent over what the highest rated, highest paid, next pay, highest paid running back is. And Le'Veon Bell goes, no, I'm more like a you know hybrid quarterback, wide receiver, running back. <laughs> I should be paid at this high level. And I, I guess the Steelers are saying, well, then who's going to pay it for you? There's no other market. You might deserve it. You might be so valuable to us, but we're just going to pay you what the market what the market is.
0: The Jets would absolutely throw that contract at him because they'd love to make bad choices. <laughs> but yeah, he is kind of like the new Cordell Stewart. He's Slash. I mean, he's... Uh, one of the best receivers in football. Yeah, happens to be a running back. Um, Sean, Le'Veon Bell. Would you just give him what he wants at this point?
2: Well, the last numbers that came out were five years, seventy million. So right at fourteen, he's going to make fourteen half on the tag this year. That Kirk Cousins, that pill on the third year, if you franchise again, it jumps all the way up. Uh, as Ira said, to like twenty one million. If I, I, Ira brings up the great point: who's going to pay him? And we've yeah. seen these running backs take bets on themselves, whether it be. Um, uh, yeah, I remember Demarco Murray. You DeMarco know, he Murray. was going to go out and get all this money, and it, and it just never materialized. And he ended up just kind of spiting the Cowboys and going to the Eagles. So, could I see a team going north of fifteen? Maybe, but it wouldn't be for the longevity of what they were offering. I mean, five years, seventy million. He'd be the highest-paid running back in the league by a large margin. I think it would be the highest, the, the largest contract you know ever handed to a running. Julio back.
0: Jones doesn't make that.
2: I think where he looks at it is said, "Hey, I'm you know a t- I'm the best running back, and then I'm a." T- Top five wide receiver. I mean, what was it? The one year? I think he he was he finished third in receptions or something. I thought he had like almost 100 catches. Yeah, I mean, he, he the guy's, 100. He's, I mean, he's unbelievable. Whereas a David Johnson's getting 50. So that's where he's saying, hey, pay me 10 for being a running back. Pay me you know <laughs> eight for being a wide receiver. Uh, so I, I just don't where we've where they've devalued the running back position so much. It's almost get the money when you can. You know, because who knows? I mean, he could go play this year. He could get hurt. And, and guess what? That money's gone now. So this is a huge gamble on his part. Um to to play this season, ride it out, not take that money, because who knows? You know, it 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 most likely won't be there next year.
1: Well he's definitely playing the season, he's gonna get fifteen million, so he's gonna yeah. play, but the problem is he's gonna sit out training camp, he's gonna mm-hmm. work yeah. out by himself, he's not part of the team. The Steelers can't look at him going forward. Yeah, this is a difficult this is difficult because next year, I, I think the Steelers are gambling that no team is gonna I think this there's pressure on the Steelers not to pay him so much and not break the what it's almost collusion to some extent, not paying him so much more than ever he's already paying him so much more but hmm. not go higher and maybe they're saying look we don't think the jets we don't think these other teams are going to set this new benchmark for running backs am i doing that i mean Jared mckinnon got eight million dollars a year and that's the highest paid running back Jared average. mckinnon
0: gets eight million dollars a year yeah. that is absolutely absurd ira would you pay him if, if he that's wants 15 he is
1: the best absurd. running back in football would i thought, i think they should have made for, for for an extra million dollars they could have found it from someone else Ask asked ben to give a million back or something i, I think they could have done this i i i yeah, the Steelers have this great team. They're never going to have this ever again. Just figure out a way to save money and maximize
2: else. Ben's time. I mean, Ben's got what? Maybe one, two he years. Says at a he says he wants to retire every season. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. It's it's and his body's break it down. I think he would want to play for you know a few years longer, but his body is what's what, what's given up on him and. You know, we just saw it with the Giants. What did they do? They went out and got a running back to alleviate some pressure off Eli. Le'Veon Bell is is you know gra- as great as Antonio Brown is. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is what makes that offense so spectacular because of the you know the multiple dimensions that he brings to the game. So if if he was asking for fifteen, you're only offering fourteen. I mean, it, what what's the difference of a five million over the course of five years? Ira,
0: how does this team even fill the payroll out? I mean, Antonio Brown is pushing twenty. Now you have this guy who pushes fifteen. Ben's got to be getting. 20. 22, you know, above 20, the highest-paid offensive line in football too.
1: So it's it's amazing that they're we, figuring. We,
0: out. We, well, this is why the defense. This is why they score 48 points a game because the defense lets up 40. Um, <laughs> let's talk just for one second about Terrell Owens. This guy, I love him. I, I kind of like what he did saying, you know what? I'm not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I ain't showing up. Never what?
2: said that when he played for the Eagles or for the Cowboys. That's absolutely
0: never come not. Out of He's Mike's still a mouth. great player. Um, He's not going to show up to the Hall of
1: Fame induction, Ira. Do you blame him? What's your take on this? He should be there. I, his It's disrespectful to the Hall of Fame. It's disrespectful to the other teammates. It's pushing. I mean, this class of Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Brian Orlacher, oh my God. it's one of the best classes ever to go That's in the Hall a good of Fame. Play, yes. And Terrell Owens should be there. Mm-hmm. I think people would recognize him. It, it's it All his fans from all the different teams he played at could see him. I think it's a it's a tribute to the sport. I, I, he's going to have an event at University of Tennessee Chattanooga in a stadium. It's, but it just shows you. It's it's why he is a third ballot. He, he took him the three times to get in because it's— it's always me, me, me for him. And there had to be. This is, I think it's a terrible look. I think yeah. he's going to, 10 years from now, we'll regret this. Yeah.
0: Sean, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. What's the mascot?
2: Uh, I don't Tigers. Blue
0: hens. There okay. you no, go. No, that's Delaware. Yeah, I'm, yes. You would be right. Go ahead. What's your take on T.O. not showing up?
2: Uh, well, I think it's two things. I think one, it's, it's him kind of standing up to all the critics that he had where it was constantly, oh, he's a cancer, he's this. You know, outside of like Romo and Winton and, and Donovan McNabb, granted, it's your quarterback. But, his fans, his, his teammates loved him. I mean, we go back to the Eagles when all that was going on. He threw a birthday party. Every single player on the team, including the kickers, the punters, the long snapper, were there except for Donovan McNabb. So all the guy ever wanted was, was his money. You know, so he never got in trouble off the field. He's not that type of guy. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. I mean, in some ways, kind of a role model if you look at it from that aspect, especially the way he came up. So I think it was more or less you've, you've deemed me to be this horrible person that I'm not. So one, it's kind of, you know, a slap in the face. I don't care about if he's a third ballot. Most receivers have to wait anyway. We saw Tim Brown wait. We saw Chris Carter wait. You know, I believe even Randy Moss has waited. Um, So, you know, receivers going in first ballot, you have to be special to, to, to get that. Two. He, we've heard about his financial troubles. What I've heard and I've read some stories about is that because he didn't spend any, you know, he he doesn't have an allegiance to one team. He played for so many different teams. It's like who's gonna who's gonna go in? Yeah. You have so many people exactly. behind an eagle. you. That's it. So so, what a lot of the times, if a player is going in with a certain team, that team picks up part of the bill because now you're inviting your entire family. You're paying for all the accommodations. About a week long well, he has no money and he's got to bring, you know, 30, 40 people, but this is what was actually told. This is, these are some of the stories that have actually come out that no one team has been willing to give him the funds to fund it. And then that's why he actually stepped back. So it's actually two parts. Now the, what, what the truth is and what's, you know, um, you know, what's been out there, if it's a falsehood or not, uh, that was just one thing that I heard. And not one team was willing to step up and say, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll come and cater to you guys. Cause that's what they do for their players.
0: He did send out a tweet saying that he was doing it. I can't remember the guy's name i believe parker's his last name a, a, offensive lineman from green bay from the 60s who's being inducted he said i'm doing it for guys like him who had to wait this long and for the future of people who are gonna have to wait too long so i do think that there's that angle too by the way utc is the mocks for mockingbirds
2: there you
0: go um let's move on to golf ira your boy british opens right around the corner he's trying out a one iron today is what i read and if for people who aren't familiar with how irons work that's the equal it's a driver but it's an iron form. I'm excited about that, but what do you think is going to happen at the British Open? I think Tiger's got a shot here. I
1: Well, Tiger played well the last time he played two weeks ago. Um, he seems excited. He, he, he hasn't been great at this event at Kornouski, but certainly he has three British Open titles. Uh, I think it, you know, the British Open is a fun tournament to watch on TV it's you have very to get up fun. early they have these weird the, the the bunkers or the pot bunkers and the balls mm. go in there the weather changes It's on one hand you look at them and they're wearing a t- you think that you're you're watching highlights because they're wearing a short sleeve shirt and then they're winning a winter jacket later um, I thought it was interesting that for a while the British Open wasn't popular in 1959 no player no US player made the, even the cut at the British Open nobody really? played it but pa- Arnold Palmer won in 1960 and he won the US Open and then he said I'm going to go to British Open three weeks later and he had a great duel finished in second then he won the next two and that sort of started this wave of American players now most of the favorites are are American um my pick for this, Rory McIlroy. I, I, Rory has been three of the last four years at the British Open. He's been first, fourth, and fifth. And I think that his game is suited for this. I think his game is. I know it's the U.S. Open was a weird tournament, but I think he's. The, I think he's going to get another victory here.
0: You know, it's interesting. I was texting with you guys yesterday while we're. You know, we're obviously talking about the World Cup final, but we're going back and forth. And Ricky Fowler was playing in this. You know, in the Scottish Open, and I'm thinking, what is he doing here? And I guess that you know these guys want to win this now. Like you said, Arnold Palmer kind. Of paved the way. Now you've got Ricky Fowler um, leaving behind uh, whatever the, the smaller tournament was here this week that nobody played in, which he probably would have finished top five in. Still looks pretty good, though, uh, overseas. We'll see what happens, but I'm always up for British Open. Before we wrap it up, Ira Pacquiao... Had a fight this weekend
1: and you thought it was a pretty good one. I've watched, I think, Pacquiao's last 15 fights. I mean, I, I've been, I'm obsessed with him. He's a tremendous fighter and he looked amazing. He, I know Lucas Matisse was older and slower, but Pacquiao had, why he, we, he's the first knockouts he had in 10 years. And he has, he's so fast and so powerful. He had three knockdowns and then he knocked him out of the seventh round. Uh, of course, it was on ESPN, Plus. nobody could watch it. And it's crazy why they put it that on that channel. But I, it's going to be interesting. The welterweight division with Crawford and Errol uh, Spence is very exciting. There's a lot of good fights that could be made. Uh, Pacquiao, it's glued that he's in, still in the mix. We are out of
0: time here. I want to thank so much Colgate men's and women's head tennis coach Bobby Pennington for stopping by. Like I said, on behalf of Ira, Sean, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.